Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Tom Kisslingberry, the English or the original English guy over at DLF, Dynasty League Football, um, asked if I wanted to record a promo for the Dynasty Crossroads with him, because it would be really funny, the two English guys maybe doing a skit, and I really hope that happens, that sounds awesome, but it got me to thinking about what I want the Dynasty Crossroads to be. I've just started uh, making more YouTube videos, I'm more you know, YouTube orientated, like made for YouTube instead of recordings of other things. And um, I started a Patreon-only podcast because my patrons are the longest-suffering patrons in the world because I do as much as I possibly can, and I do it for free because I want to—I just want to play with you all. Like, I love fantasy football. I love talking with you guys and girls. I love getting to know you. Like, that's the, the community is the fun for me. Um, almost more at this point than watching the game, which is weird because I love sport. That's why I'm here. But the Dynasty Crossroads is... My podcast, man. I love this place. You know, Jake, RIP, I miss you to death. But all my promos right now say this show's about Jake and me breaking down one player at a time from a film and a metrics point of view. And Jake's gone. <laughs> RIP. Um, so I like doing in-depth 30-minute breakdowns of what a number, what series of numbers can tell us about fantasy football, how it can help us play, win at Dynasty, or avoid a myth that helps us lose at Dynasty fantasy football. But I also love talking to my friends. I love bringing people I've never met before. Lauren from the Ball Blast Girls was one of my favorite episodes. I hadn't spoken to her before. We barely knew each other. And getting to know her just through a casual conversation, I really enjoyed that episode. Reggie Q, um, the last time I interviewed someone on this podcast, it turned into a three-parter because we just hit it off. We really like talking with each other, and it's fascinating. It's basically what happens after every podcast I've been on. The, the lights go off, as it were. We hit, stop hit, we hit the stop recording button, and a conversation happens that everyone's in, everyone enjoys. It's almost what everyone's there for. They've been waiting for it. And it's natural, and it's um, unfiltered, and we just enjoy enjoying this weird little game that we play together and we end up in some weird places we talk a lot about fantasy football and our process and the difficulties and things that help us and we come out with a lot of discussion about fantasy football so that's, that's what we're all interested in and i love doing that on the crossroads as well but it's not it doesn't meet with the original theme or me talking about numbers for 30 minutes at a time so i don't know what that promo is going to be yet i need to frame this show 
anyone still listening, hopefully you're enjoying the stuff I'm putting out. Please leave a review to let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at PA Howdy. Tell me what's working, what's not, what you enjoy, what you don't. And hit up Zach Reed, that's uh, the film guy uh, from the Dynasty Dummies that I interviewed this week for the, the Crossroads. Now, some things I can tell you about the Crossroads. I'm going to keep putting out the things that you guys like and want to listen to and the things I enjoy doing. And we drop our episode every Saturday. I know I dropped it early last week, but that was because it was really good. I really enjoyed the Debo, you know. I thought it was a great podcast title as well. And I had it ready um, early, which is unusual for me. And so I just dropped it. I shouldn't have done that. I should have kept to my schedule. Apologize for that. But the Crossroads drops every Saturday. If there are multi-episode shows like with Ray, I'm going to drop them all on Saturday, early Saturday and Sunday. That weekend to give you something to listen to where everyone else is, you know, having fun with their families. It's some more fantasy football content to fill that void. Um, so please let us know if these longer interviews are something we continue to want on the Crossroads. Should be this, this be the focus of the Crossroads? And I should take all my 30-minute, 10-minute, 20-minute breakdowns of numbers, just take them to YouTube, dude, we want to hear more conversations, um, then let me know. Or if you want both here, I'll continue to produce both right here. And that will help me know what to do on that promo. Um, so again, hit me up on Twitter, leave a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, if you don't want to help me out by leaving a rating and a review, that's fine. Honestly, uh, support or don't support me as much as you want. Um, really appreciate the support, but like, I'm, I'm, I don't feel comfortable telling people to help me. So you know, it's whatever. But somehow, let me know if you're listening. What you want more of? What you want less of? Because that's going to help me frame this show to get it into promo shape, and so I can consistently keep putting out uh, that type of content. For now, still kind of uh, still kind of experimenting. This week, me and Zach, we always just end up in a, a three-hour conversation. But this week, we, we forgot to start the show, and we kept saying we forgot to start the show. So this one's probably going to be a multi-parter. This first part is about us just riffing on the combine a little bit, but also to, the main the, this first section, okay, is about us trying to fit our evaluations into the real world. It's trying to understand what the NFL does, what the NFL doesn't do in a practical way. When we're looking at tape or numbers, you're looking at something impractical. You're looking for the theory, the ideal. And then you've got to evaluate what teams are going to do with it, what the draft's going to mean, what the combine's going to mean, and it's all more complicated. Now, this was taken straight from the YouTube video because uh, I record them and stream them to YouTube. It's not available on YouTube because it's not YouTube content. Um, but since we stopped, forgot to start the show, we didn't record an audacity. So a quick note, my sound isn't the greatest. Zach's is because he's great at everything. Um, and also my language is X-rated on occasion. I swear, more naturally, um, in natural conversation, whereas when I normally record for the crossroads, I don't. Um, now, we do have an age 18 rating, I think, so, you know, the warning's on there, but I do want to issue it as well. If you're listening to it in the car or somewhere kids can hear and you don't want to hear them, some weird English guy saying bad words, like this this is an episode where I drop some bad words because it's just a natural conversation between me and Zach, so I want to let you all know about that as well. So, thanks again for all the support, whether you're just listening, whether you're leaving rating reviews, whether you're a dollar Patreon uh, of me, something I honestly appreciate, but I, you know, I don't have money to put into fantasy football, this is my fun hobby, this is something I see as an investment opportunity, so I get it, it's fine, all my content's free on there, apart from that now new Patreon-only podcast, 
and a few databases, but it's data that can get out. I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> I really appreciate it, guys, girls, and everyone. Um, thanks very much. Let us know what I can do more of, and um, enjoy this interview. The first part, me and Zach trying to fit our at-home research into a real world of the complexity of an NFL business. Um, the second part will probably be more about us talking about the combine. Um, and the third part is us breaking down specific individual rookies from this year's draft, putting both of those two things together. All right, guys. Thanks again. Hope you enjoy it. Let me know if you do or let me know which parts you don't. Um, and I will talk to you again in just a second while I talk to Zach. That he carried the ball an awful lot and didn't have a season where he had a ton of receptions. Right. And I love him as a, he's the best runner in this class for me. Like, hands down, if there's a guy that I want to put the, the ball in his belly, it's Jonathan Taylor. But the question is, it, does he have enough receiving chops for a team to put him in? You know, where does he land? Does he land in a place – um that that has a receiving back is he sony michelle is he josh jacobs where yeah they had great seasons running but you're never going to be a top six back or is he land in a spot like nick chubb and leonard fournette this past year where all of a sudden the receiving backs aren't there and he's good enough to make plays out of the out of the backfield as a as a receiver and so it we're back to, hey, it's landing spot. But and he's... I like what you say, because you're not defining the player. You're just trying to think what has happened, what could happen, right? And yeah. I love, because you basically came up with the exact same description of the problem with receiving in college with running backs as I did from, obviously, a completely different direction. And I was like, I mean, that's great. Because we were like, it's just not what the NFL does. It's not yeah. that it can't happen. It's not that we're not... Like, you get a new coach, fuck, he might make, make them wear hats. I don't know. <laughs> like, anything can happen. But it does make sense that if you're drafting a running back, especially with significant draft capital, you're drafting them to do what you've seen them do over and over and over and over again really well. You're not like, I'm going to draft that guy and make and turn and, and like turn him into a really good chef. Like, <laughs> it's like I drafted him to do this fucking thing. Um, but then you've got like Melvin Gordon and Zeke. Zeke had phenomenal target share last season or the season before, which again, yeah. he oh, was a yeah. little low in college. And it's like, it's not like these guys can't catch a fucking ball. It's a rare individual that literally can't catch a ball. But it's also really difficult to play a receiver, even at running back in the NFL, if you're asking to do more than that. So the, there is some complex complexity there. But like it's not like it can't happen, um, and we know it can't happen. We're just saying it also makes sense that we shouldn't expect it, perhaps as much. But if they go in the first round to a team with no receiving back, you're like, well, come on, Kerry and Johnson didn't. Uh, it was the same story, and I argued against Kerry and Johnson because again, it doesn't typically happen. But it's not like I said it couldn't happen. It just right. gives you an idea of what it's like. As far as I can tell, that's what we're doing here. Yeah, <laughs> you I mean, know, I mean that's <laughs> it. All comes back, and every time you and I talk, it all comes back to this phrase comes up in my head, and it's mitigating failure. And that is what you're trying to do with all of the numbers. It's what I'm trying to do with watching film. And 
to me, the NFL is not a league where you develop players. Yeah, it's not a developmental league. It's this is where you pay guys, you know, six, 10, 12, Tom Brady, 30 million. Like you're paying actual money for these players and you're not developing them. You are drafting them to be, you know, studs or, or, you know, you draft a running back to be a running back. You draft a guy for what he is. Can he be more? Maybe. You know, are there situations that you could put uh, Jonathan Taylor in that he would produce like Christian McCaffrey? Maybe. But is that likely? I I don't believe it. I mean, he's he's fantastic. He's my running back one. No doubt about it. And he's still landing spot dependent for his ceiling. And that's the thing. It always makes me laugh when when – we get to the combine, and Kyle's Kyle's really big on combine. Kyle loves the combine. He he collects all the numbers, and he's got the cheat sheet, and he plugs everything in, and gives you an aggregate like athletic metric, and he gives you a, a production metric, and then he takes my film scores, and and now Jay Mike's film scores, and Matt Foreman and Riley Bymaster, and and plugs those all in, and so his his cheat sheet gives you. All of the it's numbers, really cool thing. yeah. I mean, it's great. It, it gives you all of the numbers with an. A, a, I use air quotes, but an objective uh, <laughs> score, and right. then it gives you the subjective score combined in, so you can you can look at it with just the numbers, or you can look at it through both the numbers and the film, and it's great. And and like. I like the combine. I love watching the combine, but I also part of the fun for me is the spectacle of being on Twitter during the combine and watching people just overreact and yeah, come out <laughs> of their mind. I mean, like, look, yesterday Ray Garvin uh, had the he like filmed himself. I don't know if you saw this, but he filmed himself I watching the, about it the Jalen Rager. 40 and you know he's expecting him to be under 4-3 and all of a sudden he was 4-4-7 and Ray's just crushed and I'm suddenly going 4-4-7 is fast like I'm really <laughs> impressed yeah <laughs> do you know how much weight that guy put on yeah <laughs> like, like uh you know regular humans uh come <laughs> on a 447 no <laughs> <laughs> no matter what they might go <laughs> like that's a that's a human superhuman right there <laughs> like, yeah um yeah I, I was like i was really taken aback by it but i knew where he was expecting so much i was like dude like <laughs> you think you know a guy and now you're disappointed with the 447 come on man um and it was funny because because Justin Jefferson ran a four four three and everyone was talking about how he won the combine well that's that's four hundredths of a second right <laughs> and i know it's you know uh, not very nerdy of me to say are we really freaking over out over a tenth of a second we like I, I get it if we're talking about sprinters you're talking about the difference between a, like a world champion that we talk about for decades and number two or number yeah. four actually uh, in the hundred meters um in one year <laughs> and it's impressive but it like a tenth of a second doesn't tell you a lot about how well they're going to create space. And that's where I get really, that's where I think a lot of the weird stuff comes in with the combine. It's like, Oh, we ran a four, five, four, four, seven. He, he's not going to separate. Well, it's like, 
a four three five and a forty and a four four seven and a forty probably doesn't tell you shit about how much separation someone can make on a nine round. Like at right. all. Like I don't know why you would expect that at all. <laughs> you know, like yeah, Tyreek Hill creates more separation and he's really fast. But like I don't like have you seen the type of separation that Andre Johnson was able to create on some routes or you know some of the less uh, uh, impressive athletes at bigger sizes they just play a different way i was reading um i think it was gabe actually um we should start eventually by the way but gabe posted a link to <laughs> one of the most this is the problem with a lot of my nerd bros and me i struggled to get through it it was 40 minutes long but it was a tape guy trying to talk about a new way of conceptualizing trade evaluation and it was actually really right but it was using a lot of complex ac academic terms and I'm meant to be that guy. And I was like, oh, man, I'm having trouble getting through this. And um, But what he was saying, I think, if I understand half the vocabulary, was really interesting and accurate. It was because it, essentially it's what we've been trying to articulate. That it's not about if you're fast enough to outrun a running back. It's if you use your speed well enough in a way to overcome that obstacle, in a way that can translate, in a way that is consistent, in a way that isn't fluky. Like you, you say, you have to see him do it more, more than once. Or I say, if they're doing it a lot, then their production is going to be significantly higher than others. They're going to attract opportunity. However you want to try and identify the wake of talent. And I really think that's a phrase I should start using because people aren't understanding what I'm looking for here. And when we look <laughs> at Emery Ruggs, I'm just looking for the wake. I don't think I know what talent is. And I think it's different in every uh, instance. But um, I do think that most talent, not all talent, very clearly not always, because situation, context, we can't predict the future. And that goes back to the thing that I forgot that I was trying to remember what I was going to say. Um, does it? Like Michael Thomas. I mean, foot stamp right there. That's one of the best receivers we've ever seen coming out. There was no wake around that fucking guy. Whereas in the NFL, there's one of the biggest wakes we've seen come out of it. So uh, clearly not every time. But I think it's fair, especially looking at the past examples to think the most good even just good decent wide receivers create a little bit of a wake around them and you can look at for it depending on whether you like tape whether you like market share whether you like efficiency whatever but that's what you're looking for you're not looking for something that identifies talent you're looking for the ripple effects of that talent in some way does that do you yeah, think that translates the, it's the old it's the old you don't ask how just if and then <laughs> you, you identify you identify that they do it, and then for me, uh, I want to know how. I want to see that context, and so my film watching helps me identify the how because I'll sit there and and plus minus and and you know okay he got open on a, a hitch route okay he got open on a, an out okay he got open on a slant and he did this to get open on the slant. Okay, he got pushed off press. You know that's a, that's a negative. You know, and and if he does it once or twice, okay, fine. He can do it, but it's not something he does. But if you see this repeatedly, game after game after game, then that is who this player is. And I think that we identify very similar things, even though we go about it totally differently, because your numbers tell that he's successful. My film right. tells me how he's successful. 
And so then when I get both of those together and jiving, I am very happy because I know (laughs) that a player is successful and I know how a player is successful. And then when he's drafted, I can look at that team and say, all right, what is most likely to happen with this coach and, and this player and this situation? And, and then you have you know all of these pieces working together. And it, and it all comes down to, to draft capital too because draft capital presents opportunity. Opportunity presents chance to put up points if the player is good like we thought he was. You all inspire so many thoughts. I can't keep track of them. But like, <laughs> it, it's just... That's one of the the thing I was going to say, and I said I'm going to say that instead of what Travis made me think, and then I forgot both. And (laughs) it's a catch in some of my, you know, nerd homies, this tendency, and I think the best example of it, not that he was doing this, but I think it conceptualizes what I find in others. Like, there are so many guys out there, and I'm not joking, I'm not just being self-deprecating when I point out, like, I am not actually a nerd. Like, I know, like, you know more math than me. You're a fucking engineer, dude. <laughs> I really enjoyed math in school. I was pretty good at it, but like, that's a very different thing. I've learned a lot to play around with this, but, like, some of the stuff, some like, some of these actual um, st- statisticians, we've got people with PhDs running around here in math and statistics and engineering. Like, they know so much more than me. I'm well out my depth in that context. But one thing I do see, I, the reason I think guys like me find a little traction is that one thing, I find a tendency to uh, for them to be looking for a, a, what's it, what is it? A silver bullet. It's like the thing I was thinking yeah. of, and Josh doesn't do this. This was one of the reasons Josh is good. He's one of the people that I would clearly put it like that guy. Like, I don't know. I will never know. <laughs> like, I don't know what he's half of what he's talking about um, and yet he's very good communicator but also he doesn't fall into this mistake but he was telling the story of how a guy identified a physical trait in horses and he wrote a book about it that clearly identified horses that were more likely on a consistent and predictable basis to win basically horse races and it was about a certain ventricle in the heart being a certain percentage enlarged and what he did was just literally go around and measure horse after horse in everywhere imaginable and look and run statistical analysis on it and it was amazing and it's definitely a very important story for statistics and is, Josh explains it much better than I do I'm sure that book does as well but um that's what I catch I think I catch a whiff of that and sometimes in NFL or just other types of analysis I'm like you get that that's not translatable like right. I think you're missing that we're not going to find a single thing we're not going to predict people like yeah. if we could predict if any people are ever predictable on a consistent base on an individual day-to-day or year-to-year like like we'd be we'd be doing better or worse. I can't figure it out, but (laughs) we're not talking about an event that requires, you know, there's some mentality to a horse. I'm sure. Don't get me wrong. I don't know much about horse racing, but it's about power, stamina and and physique. I mean, the NFL requires a human mind, not a horse mind. And in every position, I don't care how much you want to insult NFL players. They're using a human mind to do things, which means it increases an incredible layer of complexity on anything they're doing in any given moment. So there's not going to be a, a ventricle that we can measure that accurately says this guy is going to have more points than this guy. Like that's never go. It's not like we haven't got there yet. That wouldn't, I, I can't conceive unless we, you know, fix chaos theory. I mean, something that <laughs> complex um, that we're going to predict 
how a human being is going to function in the future. We're not going to be a Nostradamus in something so complex as a guy catching a football on a field against cornerbacks in a variety of different situations for three years in the future with changing offenses, change of offensive lines, changing defensive lines, changing quarterbacks, and none of which we know is going to happen. It's not going to happen. So once you take that into account, you accept that ranking at least isn't going to happen through what we can track, even if we had all the data. And I do think we could do better, like if we had ADOT. <laughs> then when you start, like the like whoever you're in an argument with about you don't understand who statistics works when you're looking at research, it's like, no, that's not what we're trying to do. That's not, that's not the goal. <laughs> it's like to get some ring all the signal out of we can, but it's always going to come down to you just have to kind of make this bet. Yeah. Um, because you don't know half the factors that you need to know. And if even if we did, we didn't we don't know how they're gonna play out. Like a coach might just be like, fuck it, I'm starting to beat Jim Fiji, and that changes <laughs> the whole look of the offensive play calling, right? And uh, we don't even know how that we can't directly tie that into prospect evaluation, let alone well, team projection in a single season, let alone prospect evaluation. Like I'm trying to in my head make a story that the Patriots it landing spot is a forgiving aspect to kill harry's profile and i'm talking about a really strong outlier like mm -hmm. to make that argument and i know there are no good examples of a player being that underproductive in his rookie year like it happens but because the team faded him like this injury doesn't even forgive him like if you're injured throughout your entire first year and a first round pick you don't break out like, can I, can I give you, you a, don't do a, certain thresholds in your rookie year? It's not not that it can't happen, but it's a really worrying sign. But like, like you are really good. So like, can I give you just a, it's just going to come down of, to something like that eventually, you know, a smidge of narrative hope on that, well, that's Mary. the thing. Exactly. Can, you're going to have to add that narrative. Let Go me, for it, let please. Me, yes, please. I mean, as, as, <laughs> as, as somebody who sat there and watched the New England Patriots this year and was frustrated by a 12 and 14 that ended up, <laughs> you know, yeah. in the wild card round of the playoffs. And I like, forgive me for, for being frustrated with the 12 and 14. I know that there right, are right, Bengals, right. Bengals fans out there. And, <laughs> like I get that, but watching, and it's been kind of this steady progression with Tom Brady. He has stopped trusting players uh, very quickly and he is really hesitant to trust young players. And so you watched him this past year, especially this past year, force a ton of balls to Julian Edelman, force balls to Mohamed Sanu once they traded uh, for him, and force balls to James White and not throw the ball toward Nikhil Harry and not throw the ball toward Sony Michelle. And when something happened one time where – uh, Nikhil Harry was in the wrong spot or Nikhil Harry didn't make a play on a ball. All of a sudden he's banished to Siberia and, <laughs> right. and yeah. And, and, and now Brady goes back to, I, I got my, my comfort blanket. I'm throwing the ball to Julian Edelman and that's it. You know, hell with everybody else. I'm going to do this this way. And I, I really believe that he got uh, so kind of locked into this idea that he didn't have any help around him, that he didn't have any help around him. That, that he didn't even try to use the help that was there. And so, you know, you, you don't want to see the Patriots move on from Tom Brady because he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And he's, he's 
you know, brought all these Super Bowls and he's done. But I think the best thing for that team going forward with the young nucleus that they have is to have a player willing to go through some lumps with these young guys uh, to get to a point where Nikhil Harry is what we what we think he is, uh, a player who can be very, very good between the 20s, running shorter routes, getting that bubble screen, catching the wall off slants, and then when you get inside the 20, being that post-up guy that everyone thinks he is, but he really isn't, uh, unless you have a short field, right? So, like, there there is a narrative I can I can spin for you to to at least give you a little bit of hope with Nikhil Harry. Um, did you hear someone else saying? Like, I was I wasn't ignoring you. I was literally looking through my podcast <laughs> because I was listening to a lot today, driving around and shit. And I was um, someone else is basically saying the same thing again. Someone. Uh, was saying well, I'm a Patriots fan. I've watched every snap Tom Brady's played, and spinning almost the exact same narrative, and which is really positive when you think about it. If people come to the same conclusion um, independently, it's always more interesting. And that's what got me thinking about it. Like I really don't buy into narratives. Like it's not just a stick <laughs> I do. Like I really avoid it. It's bad unless I can find something like. But anyway, like you do have to spin some sort of story. And part of me, while listening to that and while you're talking, it's like, it's not even like comfort. Like Tom Brady can just do what the fuck he wants at this point. That also almost <laughs> makes me feel better about it. It's not this comp because I've heard that argument too many times of a quarterback needs to find a, find a, you know, relationship with the receiver. Like if they're not, you know, bunk mates and they don't right. secretly yeah, want yeah. to no, 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 no. <laughs> have a romance. <laughs> Obviously it's like, no, they're professionals. Right. But like Tom Brady like, can do whatever the fuck he at this point so if he's like ah nah and he just wants to force it force it to be well that makes more sense to me almost than the comfort thing if you know what I mean or the Patriots in general like I can't and this is the thing with that narrative so you can make the exact opposite argument it sounds just as reasonable that's the problem with the narratives but like what if the Patriots look at a rookie and like that guy needs to go through his paces all right we're just gonna not gonna use him like we don't mind we're not gonna tilt uh, because we're the team is clearly organized by not buffoons who are intelligent, who aren't going to become uh, emotionally like Harry didn't do anything for us as a first round pick. So we're not going to even try to work him into the offense. They're not going to make such a mistake. Right. So I do think narratively, just based on who literally the history of this particular team and the people in charge, like there's more hope because what makes sense to me about the other stuff is I do think some teams run by buffoons. Uh, like I don't <laughs> honestly call people stupid because I'm normally wrong <laughs> when I think that, and most people aren't stupid. You don't get to the head of anything, um, especially with money involved. With that, at least on some level, being impressive or competent, but occasionally it happens. But there's just too much noise around some decisions that are made. It's like the, the, these guys might honestly be buffoons, and I do think that happens with some teams. And just tracking the history of it, its entire narrative, so the opposite story makes sense. But this, it's like, we're going to force it to this guy. And he doesn't do it quickly. So screw that guy. Like, it, 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 there's, there's almost just too much of that to not believe that story happens eventually. There's no reason that first round picks, because they're drafted for a reason, even if, you know, whatever we argue about in the evaluation process, they are drafted for reasons. Um, 
and no one gets to the NFL without having some skill that's like we were saying about 40 times far above the average human being. Yeah. So it's not like an NFL team can't use it. Like the Patriots show with Philip Dulcet, <laughs> you know, you can get even if they're not fantasy guys, but the, there's just way too much signal. That's uh, like Devonte Parker could happen more often. Fourth year, first round picks could break out more often. It's just, that doesn't happen clearly not because they don't have skills and have traits or maybe could be useful to fantasy teams. It's because teams must be just going, Oh, no, someone already someone already fouled up on you by drafting you in the first round, so now I'm not going to make the same mistake. And yeah. pretty much it's just the Patriots going, uh, that's, that's a weird emotional decision. I'll take them, get yards out of them for almost nothing because they have, you know, first-round traits at least, even if they're not, you know, all-round Julio Joneses. They still have things that most people that don't have, and I'll use that part of them. I use that part of their skill yeah. set and not worry that I'm not getting Julio Jones. And, you know, there are so few teams capable of doing that. Like, well, and- I honestly think there's someone in the organization, Cincinnati and Miami keep coming up as players that are identifying low value guys that have potential, um, at least, um, you know, some nerd in his basement that doesn't know shit about football <laughs> saying that, but I really do think some of this stuff identifies people that were above average in their situation. And too many of them are washing up on those two teams. And yet they still not getting even field time. And normally that's an indication with draft drafted guys that they're just not cutting it like Laquan Treble. But with these low drafted guys, the only story that makes sense, because when they finally do break through for one random reason or another, it's Rashad Matthews is like, Okay, not perennial talent, but that guy was clearly useful for an right. NFL team. And he sat on their bench for four years <laughs> as an undrafted free agent until they were forced to use him. And I was like, oh, that's the best receiver we've had for fucking ages. And it's there's just too much of that noise that there's someone able to bring him into the team. And then there's buffoonery and emotional decisions <laughs> and you know individual contexts. And they're, they're trying to do many things. So buffoonery might be unfair, I grant that just keeps them, you know, far away from actual opportunity. Um, sorry, you look like oh, you're no. going to say something I, I th- more interesting. I, no, no, I think I think that part of the luxury and part of the reason why you you point to the Patriots as being a team that identifies talent on other teams and brings it in and, and utilizes that talent is they have the luxury of having continuity. I mean, Bill Belichick has been there for well almost twenty years now, like. And these other teams, you have a coach come in and the team has been bad and he's got two years to turn it around. And so he's not going to bet his his career on some guy who is a, a fifth round pick that's been sitting on the bench for two years, you know, and, and so you end up with this this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where you've got a bad team and you've got a coach who is trying to turn it around way too fast and and doesn't have the the pieces to do it and is not going to bet on on these guys who don't have the draft capital because somewhere down the line the NFL identified that these players are not uh worth as much as a first round pick or a second round pick or a third round pick whether that you know whether you have the actual ability to be able to predict that which we've decided you don't i mean you're 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 splitting hairs so much with with all of these players coming in because the the difference between the athleticism of most of these players is minuscule i mean like it it literally like unless you're talking the the really high-end guys or the really low-end guys like that middle range they're all 
athletic. I mean, it's the old athletes are are good at athletics. That's that's what happens. <laughs> right. Like that's and like take the worst athlete in the NFL, then go challenge him to any sporting well, event. That's <laughs> any I, of them. I, I, <laughs> you know, I was I was talking. See how about, you feel about yourself after that. I, I, was, <laughs> you know? I was talking about. I got the the opportunity to go to a basketball camp when I was younger that the San Antonio Spurs did, and. Will Purdue, so it was, it, I got to rebound for David Robinson and Tim Duncan and Will Purdue, and Will Purdue was the one who blew my mind because you know David Robinson was a Hall of Famer. You know Tim Duncan was a Hall of Famer. Will Purdue was incredible. He was seven foot two and like could run the floor. And and, and it's the same with any professional athlete. All of these guys that, that you know, will sit there and, and – Zach Moss ran a, a four seven two tonight, and everyone's going to be like, "Oh, he's a terrible athlete." And again. He's in the he's in like the top five percent of athletes in the world, but because <laughs> because we're comparing him to the other four percent above him, he doesn't look like he's a, an athlete. I honestly think we undervalue Rich Eisen running the forty, okay? Because we can run the shadow cam on him just. Okay, everyone, that was the first part of my conversation with Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummy podcast. Please check them out at Dynasty Dummies on Twitter or the DFPN network for their podcasts. Really appreciate it. I will see you again on the next episode when we break down. The second part's more going to be us talking specifically about the Combine, how it's useful, how it's not useful. Like I say, I really had fun in this conversation. Hope you enjoyed it too, and I will talk to you again on that next episode. Bye. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play it unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that, I, I like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, so Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, so Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical